name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Today's message is going to be a story about a man who was thriving at the age of 85. You know, I appreciate Caleb today so much more than I did 20 years ago because now I'm 20 years older and I'm still 25 years behind the age where we find Caleb today in our story. I've said this very often over the last years that today the finish line seems so much further to me than it did when I was a millennial or I was in my 30s. I remember the finish line just seemed just up the road, just a piece, right? But the older I've got, it seems like the finish line has gotten further and further away, knowing that I have to finish finish well. Getting older has a way of beating us down. And here's some ways that you know you're getting older. And now these are just meant to be humorous, but you sleep in a different place than your teeth do. And, uh, or it takes two tries to get off, off, off the couch. Or you're sitting in the rocking chair and you can't get it started. But anyway, so uh, those are meant to be humorous. But here's some real serious ones about getting old, all right? So see if you can relate. You, you know you're getting old, like Caleb, when uh, you're forgetting people's names. Uh-huh. Sue goes, uh-huh. Uh, you're, you're losing your hair up top and you're growing more hair, hair in your ears than on your head, right? Here's another serious one. You wake up in the morning and you've just had a good night's sleep and you feel stiff and sore, more so than you did when you went to bed uh, last night. You misplace everything, your glasses, your, ca- your car keys, your bags. You fall asleep in front of the TV every night. Your conversations tend to revolve around everyone's ailments. I remember not too long ago, we were having dinner with Leslie and David, and uh, was it Olivia that was there? I think Olivia was with us, and she was the only young person in the group. And, and all of a sudden, Ann said, man, for the last hour, all we've been doing is talking about our ailments. And poor Olivia's just listening to all of that. You start driving more slowly. You struggle with losing weight. Someone has said old age is when you got it all together. You just can't remember where you've put it. However... All of that to say, Caleb at 85 years old is not that man. He's he's not that man. He's absolutely engaged. He's absolutely fully alive. No letting down on his part. We all saw the movie Braveheart, or most of us did anyway. Uh, Caleb wouldn't necessarily be called Braveheart, although I think Braveheart would have fit for him too. But but we're going to call Caleb Wholeheart. Because the Bible says repeatedly that Caleb followed God with his whole heart. So before we dive into chapter 14, which is going to be talking specifically about Caleb, let's go back and review just a little bit. They've crossed over into the promised land. You'll remember that story. They marched across. The water stood up on on their right as they went into the promised land. As soon as they were across the river, they encountered Jericho and they defeated Jericho. Then it was Ai. And you'll remember they had defeat and victory at Ai. And then it was Mount Ebal and Mount Gerasim where they recorded the word of God as Micah told us last week. They inscribed it on stone and plaster so that it would be there. And I appreciated his speculation even that that no matter where you were, you could go and read the word of God because it was written for them in plaster on uh, on that altar there between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerasim. 
And then we saw the deception of the Gibeonites and how they fooled Joshua because he didn't seek the Lord. And then at the end of chapter 10, we saw the defeat of the Southern Coalition. I don't know if we spent a lot of time there. Michael said he didn't spend a lot of time there, but, but that we have the defeat of all of these kings from the South. Now we come to chapter 11 in our study, and in chapter 11, we have a coalition of northern cities and kings that are going to come against, against Israel. At the beginning of chapter 11, we read of King Japan, and King Japan was the king of Hazor, and he rallied everybody together. And evidently his thinking is, if we don't come together now and fight against Israel, we will be doomed like everybody else. And so in chapter 11, verse 4, we read this. They went out with all their armies, a multitude as numerous as the sands on the seashore, along with the vast number of horses and chariots. All these kings joined forces, and they came and encamped together at the waters of Meram to attack Israel. But God told Joshua, he said, don't be afraid. I've got this for you. Don't fret. You're going to defeat them. And indeed they did. They destroyed this northern coalition of kings from the east and the west and, and the north. So really it was a, a great conglomerate of kings that fought against Israel. They destroyed them all. They killed them all. They took possessions of their cities. The only city that they didn't keep was Hazor, King Japan's city, and they burned it uh, to the ground. The rest of them they took as, if you would, spoils of war. Chapter 12, if you're following along in your Bibles, chapter 12 is a list of all of these kings that they defeat. Chapter 13 begins with God acknowledging Joshua is getting up in age. He says, man, you're, you're getting old and there's still land to conquer. But here's what I want to tell you, Joshua. I am going to be with you. And as he lists this land, these lands that still need to be defeated, he says, I will drive them out before the Israelites. But before they do that, in chapters 13 through actually further than chapter 19, but we're going to talk just about land divisions in 13 to 19, so I broke it there, we have this account of the distribution of the lands they've conquered and who gets, who gets what. Now let's be honest. Now, for those of us reading today in this 21st century, when we're reading, it's pretty tedious, and I'll be honest, it's really boring. Because you don't know what you're reading. You don't know anything about the lands, etc. So it's, it's really becomes, and they gave this to this and this to that, you know. However, I'd like to just for a moment have you put yourself back in their, in their place. And chapters 13 through chapters 19 would have been pretty exciting. Because it was the reading of the will. It was telling every tribe, here's where you're going to be. Here's the land you're going to settle. Here's the cities that you're going to get. And so I'm sure they were really kind of on, you know, pins and needles, if you would, just waiting to hear where, where is it that we're going to settle. This is very important to them, although it might be tedious to us. But in the midst of this land distribution, we have this account of Caleb. And we find it in Joshua chapter 14. So if you want to turn specifically to 14, I'm, I'm going to focus on some things there in Joshua chapter 14. Now, one thing you need to know about Caleb that you may not realize, but Caleb was not a Jew. He was a, a Kenizzite. A Kenizzite was one of the, uh, the, the people of Canaan, right? He was from the land of Canaan. His father, Jephthah, anyways, was. And, uh, and, but he was an Israelite. He wasn't a Jew, but he was an Israelite. And you say, I don't understand what you're talking about. What's what, is what Paul says in Romans chapter 9. Not all of Israel is Israel. What he means is not all of ethnic Israel is the true Israel. 
The true Israel of God has always been those who put their faith in God. And obviously Caleb's family, Jephthah maybe the first or maybe his grandfather or his great-grandfather had put their faith in Jehovah, the God of Israel. And so just like Rahab and other Gentiles, he had become a follower of, uh, of Jehovah. And so back, you go back up 45 years ago, Caleb is one of the 12 men chosen to represent the tribe of Judah. He is one of the 12 men, not even, not even an Israelite by ethnicity. He's chosen to go be one of the spies that's to spy out the land. Now, now, Caleb is found amongst the people of Judah, so evidently he is, his tie has been to the tribe of Judah. Maybe, maybe his family had been marrying into the tribe of Judah. I'm not sure about that. But we read in chapter 14, verse 6, that in the middle of the, the land distribution, Caleb goes to Joshua. Let's read it together if you want to follow along. Again, Joshua chapter 14, verse 6. The descendants of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephnah, the Kenesite, said to him, You know what the Lord promised Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses and the Lord's servant Moses, the Lord's servant, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to scout the land. I brought back an honest report. My brothers who went with me caused the people to lose heart. But I followed the Lord my God completely. On that day, Moses swore to me, the land where you have set foot will be an inheritance for you and your descendants forever, because you have followed the Lord completely. As you see, the Lord has kept me alive these 45 years, as he promised, since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel was journeying in the wilderness. Here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was the day Moses sent me out. My strength for battle, for daily tasks, is now as it was then. Now give me this hill country the Lord promised me on that day, because you heard then that the Anakim are there, as well as the large fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me, and I will drive them out as the Lord promised. And then Joshua blessed Caleb, the son of Jephnah, and gave him Hebron as an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron still belongs to Caleb, son of Jephnah, the Kenesite, as an inheritance today, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, completely. All right, let's back up. What happened at Canish Barnea? Do y'all remember? It's a real familiar story. You remember they're, they're camped outside the promised land and Moses sends 12 men representing the 12 spies into the promised land to scout it out. Caleb was one of them. Joshua was another of them. There were 10 others that I don't remember their names at all. But after they got back from 40 days, um, they had some good news and some bad news. The good news was that the land was exactly like God said it was, flowing with milk and honey, great, all kinds of grapes and pomegranates and all kinds of fruits. And I mean, it was a wonderful land. But this group of 12 men came back from their trek saying that, hey, the land's great, but we can't take it. Because it's the land of giants and it's the land of, it's the land of fortified cities whose walls appear to go almost up to heaven. And so they said, well, we're just not able to take that land. Besides that, there are some really giant people in the land, and we look like grasshoppers to them. We can't take the land. That's what 10 of the spies concluded. And they came back and they discouraged the people. Two of the spies disagreed. You know the story. The two were Joshua and they were Caleb. 
And they saw everything else that everybody else saw, but they saw something else. They remembered the promises of God. They remembered what God had said, is that he was going to give them the victory over the peoples of Canaan. And so because the people gave in to fear, you'll remember this, they were sentenced to 40 years of walking in the wilderness so that, or until that even, that unbelieving generation would die. There's a whole lot of lessons in that. One of the major ones would simply be that the majority is not always right, correct? In fact, the majority can, can cause you great pain because this majority, anyway, caused them 40 years of refugee status and wandering in the wilderness all of that time. While the people were making up their minds, Caleb, this is what he said to the people in Numbers chapter 14, verse 9. Only don't rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land, for we will devour them. Their protection has been removed from them and the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. You know that phrase, we will devour them? Literally what it says is we're, they are like bread to us. In other words, we're going to eat them up like we're eating a piece of bread. If there's anything easy to eat, it's, it's freshly cooked bread, right? And so he said, we're, we're going to eat them up. Caleb saw everything else that everybody else saw, but he also saw that God was bigger than all of that that stood in, in front of them. He understood that maybe we can't take them, but with God we can. Maybe we alone can't do this, but hey, God's with us. God's got this. And he talked like a man filled with the Spirit, and he talked like a man who just put his trust in the Lord. Of course, we all know the story. They gave in to the ten, and because of that, they wandered all of those years. So let's fast forward 45 years into the future. We find ourselves where we are in the story of Joshua. Caleb is 85 years old now, and he comes to, to Joshua, and he says, Hey, man, I'm 85. I'm here. I want that land. And he said, I've got the same confidence that I had back then to take the land. He says, I've got the same confidence that I can do battle like I could back then. I've got the same confidence that I can lead. And then he says this, he says, I have the same strength that I had when I was 40 years old. Now, I don't know if Caleb's exaggerating there or not, or if this is just one of those things that God is divinely Helping him, I, I know I'm, I'm 60, and I surely don't have the strength I had 40 years ago. Not that I was ever strong, but, but you know, age, age takes its toll on you. But, but Caleb comes, and he is just, he's so confident. Consider what God had said to Caleb back in Numbers 14, 24. He says, but since my servant Caleb has a different spirit and has remained loyal to me, I will bring him into the land where he has gone and his descendants will inherit it. Now, how would you like that to be God's opinion of you? Wouldn't you like God to say, man, if you consider my man Jack back there, I mean, he's of a different spirit. Or my man Kent or Jamie, they're, 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 they're men of different spirits. Can you imagine God having that testimony of you? But that's what he says about Caleb. This guy's different. He has a different spirit. He's not like the others. So here's my theme this morning. This is what I want to talk about for just a few more minutes is why was Caleb different? Why did God say, you know, that he was going to bless Caleb? What made Caleb different than everyone else? And I want to answer my own question with three answers, all right? And I want to answer them from, from the text, if you would even. I think from the text anyway. Why Caleb was blessed of God and why Caleb was of a different spirit. So here's, here's answer number one. He was different because he believed God when others weren't willing to believe God. 
When others said, yeah, God said he was going to give us the land, but it's too great for us. We're like grasshoppers. We can't do it. We need to turn back. He was willing to believe God. Now, peer pressure is a, is a hard thing. It can be a hard thing and a good thing, right? It can be a bad thing and a good thing. Peer pressure can lead us into good stuff, but peer pressure can lead us into bad stuff. But let's just be honest. Whenever you're facing peer pressure, it's always really tough, isn't it? I mean, when, when you're having to go against the people you love and your friends and your family and, and you're believing something different, I mean, it's really hard to say you're wrong and step out on your own. But that's exactly what Caleb did. I understand why the people were afraid, don't you? I mean, they were probably already somewhat fearful. I mean, we're talking about going in and fighting and and. and and spearing and soaring and all of that kind of sorting. And they, they were probably already somewhat fearful when they're standing at the edge of, uh, of the promises. I'm talking about 45 years earlier, right? And then these people come back, people you love, people you trust, who were sent to be spies. They come back and they say, we can't do it. And fear is contagious, isn't it? I mean, hey, just watch the news. Just watch the news. And I'm not trying to make any statement about the news. I'm just simply saying, watch it and you'll come away fearful. Because that's the whole, the news, that's what the news, I think, is at least trying to help us become somewhat fearful about all of this. Fear is contagious. Who wants to enter a battle when the people you trust come back and say you can't win, right? So, so peer pressure was tough. I, I sort of get it. I'm not excusing them, but I, but I understand why the naysayers, you know, won out in this. But I'm kind of straying from my point. Here's my point. What made Caleb great in the eyes of God was it when other people weren't willing to believe God at what he said? Caleb was. He was willing to take God at his word. He was willing to put his life on the line. He was willing to go against the crowd. Remember his words were, we're going to devour them. They're like bread to us. We're going to, we're going to eat them up. The Jews, you know, they didn't, I, I think what they thought, and probably so, we can't win on our own. They're in these fortified cities with walls up to the, up to the to heavens. How are we going to defeat that? Remember what happened at Jericho, right? Remember, right? Not a rhetorical question. They walk around it. All they do is walk around, and what happens? The walls come down. They don't have to, they don't have to breach the walls. God breaches the walls for them. So uh, on their own, they probably couldn't have defeated the Canaanites. But God was with them, and Caleb believed that. Now, I can't remember exactly how I titled this, but I, I think it was like, hey, staying engaged in your old age, something like that, right? So here's the deal. If you, if you want to be a man in your 80s or a woman in your 80s who is staying engaged and who's making a difference in the world in your 80s, 90s, 70s, in your 30s, hey, you, you've got to be a person who's willing to believe the Word of God even when others aren't. And here's what I really want to encourage you to believe. I mean, specifically for Caleb, it was that we can take the land. Right? That was what he had to believe, and he believed it. Right? But what about us? What specifically do we believe that's going to keep us engaged? Well, I would say, sort of like my prayer at the opening of our service this morning, is you need to believe that God is with you, that God's not abandoning us in the middle of all of this stuff that's going on. God has not left us. In the middle of the fact that our church has sort of been derailed as far as its practices, not its purposes, but its practices and how we lived out our Christian faith. Though some of that's been derailed, God is still with us. God is, God is not just with us, but God has gifted us. God's going to use us. God can use us. God can use us more in the midst of all of this, maybe, than he could have used us before. Maybe people would be more open to, uh, to Jesus and to the good news of the kingdom of God. Maybe they'd be more open now. Maybe God can use us in a greater way now. 
You see, so I don't care how old you are. Believe that God is with you, that he's gifted you, that he wants to use you, that he's not going to abandon you, that you, that you are appointed to bear fruit. Remember, Jesus said that to the 12. He said, I have appointed you that you go and you bear fruit. But, but I'm pretty sure that we can take that promise for ourselves as well and say, hey, Frank, God has appointed you to bear fruit as a bus driver. God has appointed you to bear fruit down at Pipsico. God has appointed you to bear fruit wherever it is that God sends you, whatever God says. Relieve God on that, all right? Okay, give, give Caleb credit that he deserves. When a whole nation was filled with fear and would not believe God, Caleb would. All right, here's the second thing. Answer to my question, what made Caleb different? What made him so great? Why did God bless him? Here it is. He never let go of the promises that God gave him. You might say, well, isn't this the same thing? Well, it's the same thing, but it's a little bit nuanced. You know, Caleb believed God when God said, hey, the land is ours. But here's the thing where, where it says that Caleb believed God when he made him a promise. And the promise that God had made him was that he would inherit land and he would see the promised land, inherit land, and then he would leave it to his descendants. To his descendants. Okay? And, and so in Numbers chapter 14, verse 21, I've probably already read this, I'm reading it again. Yet as I live and as the, oh, God made two promises back in Numbers. All right, here's the first one. Here's the first one. I, I almost messed up. Here's the first promise he makes back in Numbers 14, 21. This is God. Yet as I live, God says, and as the whole earth is filled with the Lord's glory, none of the men who have seen my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tested me these ten times and did not obey me will ever see the land I swore to give their ancestors. None of those who have despised me will see it. Boy, how would you like to be a recipient of that promise? God's saying, hey, all of you that saw what I did and you're not willing to believe me, then this, here's a promise I'm making. As I live, says the Lord, you will never, ever, ever see the land. And they all died. But then he makes another promise, and this promise is to Caleb, verse 24. But since my servant Caleb has a different spirit, has remained loyal to me, I will bring him into the land where he has gone, and his descendants will inherit it. So that's the promise that God specifically makes to Caleb. And, and here's my point. Caleb tenaciously held to that promise all of those years. And what we find in, in Joshua chapter 14 is, is Caleb coming to Joshua saying, I'm here to claim the promise that God made to me that he was going to give me the land and the promised land and it would be for my inheritance. And so uh, he's coming to claim that promise. Joshua said, if we go back, what he says is, give me the hill country. Now, the hill country that he wanted was Hebron. And uh, now Hebron, you know, people have speculated, why did Caleb want that land? Why did he want? That's what he's asking for, a specific area. Why did he want it? Well, here, here's, here's one thought. Hebron is where all the patriarchs were buried. Remember, Abraham bought a cave. That was the only piece of land he owned in, in, in Canaan. And in that cave he buried, uh, well, he was buried, his children were buried, his wives were buried, you know, his family had been buried there. Some people say, well, he wanted it. Hey, Jewish tradition says Adam and Eve were buried in that cave too. But some people say, well, that's why the reason he wanted it. I, I don't think so. I don't think that's why he wanted it. All right? Remember, he's not even ethnic Jew. All right? So I don't think that's why he wanted it. Some said, well, he wanted it because it's the hill country, right? And it's, it's high land, easy to defend. Hey, it's easy to defend, but it's hard to take, right? And yet he's going to have to go battle for it. So it could have been that he wanted the hill country because 
because he wanted the high ground to protect himself later after he'd won the land. Maybe that's it. But again, I, I'm speculating. I get it. But I want to tell you why I think he wanted the land. I think he wanted this land because 45 years earlier, this is the land he walked over. And I remember he, he probably thought, I really like this land right here. And I think that the reason he says he wants this land because that is the land he set his heart on 45 years earlier. And that was the land when God said, I'm going to give you the land in the promised land that your, your feet walked on. I think that's the reason why he wants this land. It was the land that he'd walked on 45 years earlier. A land inhabited by Anakim, the giant people, right? And a land of fortified cities, Caleb says... You know, that's the land I want. And in Joshua 14, here's what he said. And I think, again, I've read this already. But here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong as I was in the day Moses sent me out. My strength for battle and for daily task is now as it was then. Now give me this hill country the Lord promised me on that day. Again, why? Because that's the land he walked on. Because you heard then that the Anakim are there in the large fortified cities. And then he says, perhaps the Lord will be with me and I will drive them out as the Lord promised. It almost sounds like in Joshua 14, Caleb is signing up to take his family and battle for that land in the hill country. In other words, he's saying, I am st I'm going to take this land because God promised it to me. So he's still willing to believe God when others don't. Remember, the, we're answering the question, why is Caleb different? It's, he's different, I think, because he tenaciously held to the promise of God that God made him 45 years earlier. No, so here's my application for us today. How can I still be engaged when I'm 85? How can I still stay faithful to the Lord, and, and not just faithful in mind and heart, but faithful in engagement in the culture and in, and in the world. How can I do that? And I think in part is by claiming the personal promises that God has given us. So let me ask you, do you have a personal promise that God has given you? Caleb had one and he held to it. Has God ever given you a personal promise that you have, that you have held to? You know, as I thought about myself this week and, and, and what I would be saying to you and just trying to think about my own self, you know, one of the promises that I felt like God gave me when I was young that, to be honest with you, I haven't tenaciously held to it like, like I want to walk away from this morning doing is when I was young, I felt like the Lord promised me that my sons and daughters would walk with him that my sons and daughters would be consequential Christians. It was that they, they would not just be, and again, they, they wouldn't just be Jesus on the side, but, but that their lives would be focused wholeheartedly for the Lord. That's what, that was the promise I felt like the Lord gave me. And, and you know, in, in somewhere along the line, uh, again, I, I, you know, I've not been claiming that promise. And, and this, I'm not trying to indict my children as not being that right now. I'm simply saying, I, man, this week reminded me of that promise. And it just, and it stirred my heart again that, God, I want to cling to that promise that even as I go, when my time comes to go, that my kids will, will instill faith in Jesus in my grandkids, in my grandkids. It's, it's like Micah says all the time about the responsibility that he has of 14 generations. I think it is 14 generations. And I don't know that I have 14 generations. I, I might just be the third generation or the second generation in my family. But I'm praying and I'm believing that God gave me a promise that my children would carry, would be consequential Christians. 
following after Jesus with all their hearts. And uh, so I really kind of want to claim that promise again. But even if, even if I, I want to cling to that promise, but even if you don't, even if you don't have such a personal promise yourself, and maybe you have more, but even if you don't, here's a couple of promises that God made to us. And, and again, I'm focusing on those of us that are on the back nine of our lives, okay? And here's Isaiah 46, 4. I will be with you. I will be the same until your old age. I'm sorry. I will be the same until your old age. This is God speaking. I will bear you up when you turn gray. I have made you and I will carry you and I will bear and rescue you. There's a promise that we can, we who are older now can say, hey, God's saying that just because I'm older and I'm slowing down, I'm not exactly like Caleb and I'm slowing down and, you know, all the rest. God's not abandoning us and leaving us. And, and it's not that God can't use us. How about this promise from the New Testament? This is Paul writing to Timothy. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. There's a great promise to cling to as I get older. Here's another one, Corinthians. And that is why we are not discouraged. Though outwardly we are wearing out, we can't remember where everything is that we've put. We can't remember names. You know, our hair is falling out. Inwardly, we are renewed day by day. Our suffering is light and temporary and is producing for us an eternal glory that is greater than anything we can imagine. What a promise to hold on to there for all of us, right? Who are, who are growing old. The way you stay engaged, everyone, is you believe God when others don't and you cling to the promise that he's given you. And here's the last one, I'm done. Caleb was so different. He had a different spirit because he wholeheartedly followed after the Lord. I, I don't know if I've told you this so far in this, in this talk, but six times in Numbers and Joshua, it says Caleb followed the Lord with his whole heart. He wholeheartedly followed the Lord. It was James Montgomery Boyce who said, great men are simple men. And what he meant by that is that great men are captured by one big idea. Men of divided loyalties never really commit with a whole heart to anything. They are here, there, and everywhere and never, never totally committed to anything. But Caleb wholeheartedly followed the Lord. And again, I don't, I don't think that necessarily means, I don't think... Uh, Brother Boyce meant that we can't have more than one interest, but what he is saying is that, you know, we, we have to not have divided loyalties when it comes to who we're going to follow and who we're going to seek. And Jesus says this. So let's just set aside Boyce and listen to what Jesus said in, in Luke 16 about divided loyalties. Whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. So if you have not been faithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you with what is genuine? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to someone else, who will give you what is your own? He's talking about money, right? And how we, how we deal with the money that we're stewards of. But, but my point in reading this to you is Jesus' conclusion. And this is what he says in verse 13. No servant can serve two masters. He'll either love the one, be devoted to the one, and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot have divided loyalties. You have to make a choice on, on who you're going to wholeheartedly be loyal to. 
And another time, same book, Jesus, same author, Luke, says that Jesus said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross cannot be my disciple. We've talked about these verses many times, but that's a Jewish idiom. He's not saying hate your parents. He's saying that there can only be one person at the top of your loyalty pyramid. And that person has to be God. You have to wholeheartedly seek the Lord. And and so Caleb was different because that's exactly what he did. He wholeheartedly prioritized God in his life. That's what the text tells us. And if you want to stay engaged when you're old, if you want to stay engaged and not just somehow melt away or slide away into uselessness when it comes to the kingdom of God, then, then forget, your, forget who, to whom your absolute loyalty should be. But if you don't want to do that, remember, I may have said that wrong. I may have said it wrong. What I'm trying to say is, if you don't want to make a difference, just divide your loyalties and forget your loyalty to God. But if you want to make a difference in your old age, never forget to wholeheartedly seek after the Lord, to put him as your first priority. Now, this is the only time I'm going to try to answer this or, or try to address this. How do I do that? Because it's really hard. Don't you struggle with that? I mean, I struggle. If, if Here's my loyalty pyramid. I mean, I struggle keeping God there. I, I kind of want to put me there, you know. So how do I do that? So here's what I'd suggest. And again, this, is, this, isn't, this isn't a silver bullet. Number one, confess that you can't do it without the Lord's help. Confess your need. God loves it when we humble ourselves and say, Lord, I know this is where I need to be, but being there is a different story. Please help me. Confess your need. Number two, choose choose him as your priority. What I mean is make a decision. Surrender. I I heard this. I don't remember who shared it with me this week, but uh, Adrian Rogers was interviewing a guy from Romania, and he was telling him about how, you know, we should be, that that Americans, we're talking about committing ourselves to God. And... uh, you know, and this Romanian said, well, I'm not sure it's such a good idea. And Adrian Rogers says, what do you mean? We're asking for a wholehearted commitment. He says, well, commitment is what you do. He said, what you really should be asking for is surrender. Because see, with surrender, there's no terms. You just give yourself to God completely. Commitment seems to have my terms. I'm, I'm committing myself at this level. That Romanian brother was challenging us to abject surrender to the Lord. So uh, choose to surrender. All right, choose to, choose to prioritize God. Put him at the top of the pyramid. But, but don't forget this third thing. And again, I, this is no silver bullet, but you've got to do what you choose to do. You, you've got to do what you decide to do. You follow what I'm saying there? You can make decisions all day long, but if you don't do something about the decision you make, then you're going to continue in the same path. I'm guilty of that. You are all guilty of that as well. This is why we need the Holy Spirit to help us to make choices and then to actually live out the choices that we're we're making to put God and wholeheartedly seek Him with all my heart. I've uh, I've lost some weight. Can you tell? Don't answer. (laughs) I asked a friend and he was like, huh-huh about it, you know, but I thought I'd lost like 10 pounds, right? But I've been trying. But here's how it happened. It happened for me because... I, I recognized I needed help, and I decided, and then I did something about it, and I actually started, 
I actually started doing some things to make me lose weight. Like I decided to prioritize eating. I decided to prioritize, prioritize exercise. And, and, you know, I don't know how that works, but it just works. It's something happens in us and we're willing to, to do that. And, and that's what I've done. And so I've, I've, lost a, I've lost a little bit of weight. You and I need to make a decision to prioritize God. And then, and then choose to decide on what that, how do I do that? And then do it. And what does it mean to prioritize God? What, what does that look like? Well, I think it would mean things like I would seek him in the morning when I first get up. Before I do anything else in my day, I would, I would seek him. I, would, I think it would mean things like I would choose to obey his will even when I prefer to do my own will. I think that's what it looks like. And then I've got to just do it. And again, I mean, this is such a catch-22, isn't it? I just got to do it, but I can't do it. But the Holy Spirit can help me do it. And so it begins by saying, confessing, Lord, I can't do this. And asking God and then actually seeking to step out and do it. But here's one more thought. Those of you that have known me all these years, you know that I've lost weight and then I gain it back. And I've lost weight and I've gained it back. And my great encourager sitting here on the front row told me at the beginning, oh, you're just going to gain it all back again. <laughs> you know you did, but it's okay because you were right. Because you were right. But here's, here's my point. Here's my point. You know this wholeheartedly seeking after the Lord? It has to be an everyday thing. It's not just a once and done deal. You, get me? you understand what I'm saying? Sometimes, you know, God's at work in our heart and he's at the top of our loyalty pyramid and we think we've got it. Oh, he's there now. But you know what? He'll be at the bottom of your pyramid next week if you don't seek to keep him at the top every single week making decisions to do that. And I don't know about y'all, but I fight that all the time. There's things that I want in my will that I know are not God's will and I fight against those things and, and I fail. I, I've got to continually walk in repentance. You know, somebody asked me today about repentance and, and sin. And, and I said, well, repentance is, you know, it comes from the Greek word to change your mind, right? So I have to change my mind about sin, that I'm not going to walk in it, that it's wrong, that it's not what God desires of me. But it's not good enough to just make the decision once. I have to make it every single day because I wake up tomorrow and I, I may not be walking in that, in that change of mind. And so Caleb was different. Because he prioritized God. And, and, and again, maybe he's like all the rest of us. But, but at least it says of him. And for 45 years, he remained faithful, evidently, to seek after the Lord. He prioritized the Lord and wholeheartedly sought after him. So if you and I are going to be different, that's what we got to do. Let me end with a sports question. Um, when are football games won or lost? And the answer is fascinating, I think, as it relates to our subject. So many football games, so many sports are lost in the last quarter or even in the last minutes of the event or the game. And you lose when you let down. You lose when you don't give it your best all the way to the end. You don't play through the whistle or you don't run through the tape. If you don't believe me, just go out and YouTube videos. Do this. Go, go look at YouTubes of runners who lost in the last second. 
And so you'll have a runner who looks over his shoulder, and they'll show you. I mean, you can see this. You'll have runners who look over their shoulder. They don't see anybody, and they're, they start slowing down and celebrating because they're going to win. But they looked over this shoulder, but on this side over here, there's a guy just giving it all his very best, and he leans into the tape before the other guy because the other guy is celebrating before it's the end. Or what football game haven't we seen where – Somebody thinks the play is over, the whistle hasn't blown, and the other team picks up the loose ball, runs it back for a touchdown, and wins the game. So there's all kinds of sports stories like that. Well, I mean, that's, that's how it can be in life as well. We let down at the very last of our lives, and, and you know, again, I don't want to say we lose the game. I don't, I don't mean that we necessarily lose the game somehow, and and I'm sorry to say, hey, we're not going to spend eternity with God. That's not what I'm saying. But we can get to the end of our lives or in the last quarter. And some of us, by the way, hey, listen, let's be honest. Some of us are in the last quarter. And some of us are maybe in the last few minutes of our game. You know, we figured it out. Like six people associated with our church, I think, is, have passed away since, since January. And, and, and several of those people are highly, highly committed family members with us, right? And, and so they didn't know back in at the turn of the year, that they were in the last few minutes of their game. And we don't know how many of us in this room were in the last few minutes of our game, right? So, so what I'm trying to say metaphorically is, man, don't let down here at the end. Don't let down here at the end. And some of you are young. And, and I, man, I just bless you. you got your whole life in front of you. It's going to go by quick. I'll tell you this. It's going to go by quick. And when you get to the end of it, you'll go, wow, what, how did that happen? That's, that's the truth. But, um, oh, I lost my train of thought. But, but I want to speak to us older people because Caleb didn't let down. And I really want to encourage you not to let down, to, to, to not, to run through the tape, to play through the whistle, to make it to the finish line. Paul said, remember this, what Paul said to Timothy? He said, uh, um, I have finished my race. I have, what did he say? I have kept the, kept the faith. I've finished my race. I've kept the faith. He ran all the way to the very end. We, we need that spirit of Caleb. Here's a, here's a poem, and I end with this. Here's a poem about, uh, about Caleb. He stood before Joshua with flashing eyes. Give me this mountain before I die. But Caleb, you're old and the mountain is high. Choose a peaceful spot on this plain to die. The people who live on the mountain are strong. The battle you fight will be bloody and long. And as for people being mighty and tall, the bigger they are, the harder they fall, said Caleb. His eyes never wavered as he spoke without fear. I've been promised this mountain for 45 years. And as for the people being mighty and tall, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. For it's not my strength on which I'm counting, for the Lord is going to give me that mountain. So let's quit talking while it's still light, for the Lord and I have a battle to fight. With that in mind, would you and me would we resolve this morning that no matter where we are in life, millennial or, I don't know, you know, that, uh, what is it, the golden, uh, the, what was that last generation, the one that World War II guys? The great generation. Millennials are great generation. If we're, if we're, if we're in anywhere in between, anywhere in between, will you never stop believing God? Will you never surrender God's promises to you to unbelief or surrender them to, to a naysayer or to somebody who says, where is your God? Will, will you never retire from serving God? 
Never retire. Again, I get it. We're older. We can't do everything we did when we were young. But never retire from serving God and never retreat from the enemy. Let's press on all the way till the very, very end. Let's pray. Father, as, as one of the, the brothers in our church family who's, who's not necessarily at the tail end, but who's now on the older generation, Lord, I pray for those who are my age and older that, Lord, we would never let up, that we would be just like Caleb. That, Lord, that we, when others would not believe you, we would believe you. And that we would cling to the promises that you've made us to never leave us nor desert us. And, and in our old age, Lord, you're going you're gonna to walk with us. You're going to fight for us and with us. And we can trust you in that. Lord, help, help the older folks in our church family to be the generation of faith, the generation of wisdom, the generation of, of trusting you and wholeheartedly seeking after you. And Father, I pray this morning, not just for, for us older folks, Lord, but I pray for all the folks younger than me, the, 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 the couples and families that are just beginning, Lord, may they be filled with the faith that, that Caleb had back when he was young. When everybody else was not believing you, he was believing you. Lord, I pray for the young couples in our church with little kids, Lord, that they would believe you, even when maybe in their generation their peers are not. Lord, would they believe you and trust you and cling to the promises that you're making to them, the promises, Lord, that you're going to walk with them, and the personal promises you're going to make them in, throughout their lifetime. Father, may our church family be uh, a family like Caleb. May I and all of us individually be like Caleb. May we trust your word. May we cling to your promises. And may we wholeheartedly seek after you. Help us, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Thank you.